Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Yo, what's up? Welcome to Kind of Funny Games Daily for Wednesday, March 16th, 2022. I'm one of your host, Blessing, Adioye Jr. Joining me is the Nitro Rifle himself, twitch.tv slash Andy. I'm gonna un- I'm gonna untime out. <laughs> no, leave him, leave him time out. Leave him time out. He can uh, wait to talk. He can wait to talk. I was gonna bring it up. I was about to be like, "Yo, what's up, everybody?" In the KHD, except for Sage people in chat, who's not watching the show because you came in reckless. Sage no, people, you still watch. You just can't talk. They were I just, just like, talk, "Hey, so it was kind of funny games daily today. Like, is it happening today or not?" It's ten oh four. Yeah, uh-huh. it's like you can wait three minutes for the show to start. Sage people, all right, patience. Hey, have we ever failed you? Probably, but like, have we? Like, so. Do we get it I, right ninety nine percent of the time? Sure. Yeah. 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 Exactly, and if there's not games daily, we tell you there's not games daily. Sage Temple. There you go. Andy, how's it going? I'm doing fantastic, Buzz. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty good. Very excited. Tunic reviews are now up. Uh, yeah. we, don't, we didn't have time to do the review roundup because the reviews literally went up like four minutes ago. But we do have the Gamescast review. Do you want to tell us your thoughts? Yeah, Tunic is awesome. Um, I put in a lot of time to it because the post game is just so good reminded me a lot of death door bless where i just wanted to keep on finding the next secret keep on finding the next secret and holy cow does it go deep because we talked about on the games cast that janet was part of the tunic discord where all the other reviewers were kind of a part of and kind of just like uh it's set up in different chat boxes uh where it's like level one like here's where you can kind of like discuss with people if you need help and then the post game section had a separate section. Holy shit! I thought this game had secrets. It it goes way further than I would have ever thought it goes. Wow. Um, it's really really cool. It's a great little Zelda like isometric top down. You're a cute little fox, and you're going on a cute little adventure. And then uh, it it opens up in a really interesting way. And the level design is just fucking oh, yeah. chef's kiss. Oh. I, had a, I had a blast talking to you guys about it yesterday. And of course, like I believe, do we have a TikTok about that one going up? Yeah, yeah, should be Hell up yeah. right now. Oh, yeah. So if you want the mini review, go check out that TikTok. If you want the full review, of course, it is Andy. It is Janet. Uh, they're joining me and Greg, who haven't played. I've not touched the game. Greg has played a little bit of it, and we have a really great conversation about that. But, Andy, enough about that for now, because we got a lot to talk about. It is a, a jam-packed news day. Today's stories include Elden Ring selling astronomically, a big Starfield news roundup, and more, because this is Kind of Funny Games Daily. Each and every weekday live right here on twitch.tv slash games. We run you through the nerdy news you need to know about. If you're watching live, you can correct us when we get stuff wrong by going to kindoffunny.com slash you're wrong. If you don't want to watch live, you can watch later on youtube.com slash kindoffunnygames, roosterteeth.com, or you can listen later on podcast services around the globe by searching for kind of funny games daily remember you can use epic creator code kind of funny on all epic store and epic in-game purchases like rocket league and fortnite to help support the channel to be a part of the show to patreon.com slash kind of funny games or bronze members or above get to write in and silver members or above get the show ad free with the exclusive daily post show housekeeping for you like we were just talking about a new kind of funny games cast is up right now as of six minutes ago and it's our tunic review uh andy and janet have both played through the game they joined greg and i we talk all about it you can catch that that right now on youtube.com slash kind of funny games and on podcast services around the globe and then speaking of games cast review season is an overdrive you think people keep saying that review season is coming to an end no it's coming to an end no it is speeding up it is getting crazier so crazy that next week we have two episodes of games cast two review episodes of games cast dropping next week so keep an eye out for that Uh, i went to i went to target blessing and there was still like all of the review season decorations out that people were still buying like in droves and they're still sold out everywhere all the review season candy little things that you can get it's it's all over the place Bless it's me. that thing where like friends keep coming to me and they're like yo when am i going to be able to get the discounts on the low price review season candy and sweets because mm-hmm. they think it's they think it's like halloween right where it's one day it's done cool no. november 1st i show up to the store get that cheap candy ain't no such thing to review season yeah. review season keeps on rolling andy 
Absolutely. It keeps on going. I mean, God dang, dude, you talk about like blessing. I've, I am obsessed with Elden Ring and mm. you try, you tell me you have to pull me away from that to go play a little game about a stupid ass Fox. And I'm just like, sure. It's the job. I got to do it. Right. And I'm like, all right, this game's fucking good, you know? <laughs> like, See, it, for you, you it's know? the Fox. For me, it is like, oh, man, I'm so deep into Elden Ring. And now, like, I'm, eight, I'm 80 hours in. You know, a, a few days ago, I went and I finally beat it. But the only reason I did that, because I wanted to just spend time in that world, and I plan to go back and spend more time in the world. The reason I did that is because I had a little voice in my ear saying, you need to kill chaos. Oh, Damn. You need to you need to kill chaos. And so Man, I was like, I can't oh, wait. yeah, I, I guess I guess wait. I gotta go kill chaos. <laughs> Let me You're tell right. you, I, I started uh, or I guess I finished level three yesterday because really we can talk about it because reviews went up a few days ago, and that game just keeps on getting me in. Like there's some there's something about the loop in that game specifically, like how it's the complete opposite of Elden Ring in terms of how gamified it is and how you're finding loot everywhere, and they give you they give you access to pretty much every single build off the bat, and so like. I'm mixing and matching. I'm pressing triangle to switch back and forth between two different builds. I've having a, I'm having a great time, and it's like the perfect kind of decompressor. I need to I need to install it, bless, because when I was doing all the demos for those first several demos that they released, you know, when you hit start, you'd hit the menu and you'd go to the screen where you eventually equip your dude with all of your cool stuff. And when I say dude, like this is a dude, right? Oh uh, my god! You go to that Jack? screen, you're like, here's this fucking dude, right? Um. And it looks super clear. It was like, damn, this is past 4K. Like, the resolution looks insane. And you cut back to the game, and it looks like it's 640p. Yep. Like, does it still feel that way? Yep. Yeah, that's oh. what I was telling when I when we did the review roundup on, on Monday. I was telling Tim that, like, when I first booted up the game, I had sworn that, like, I had either booted up the PS4 version on accident or somebody yeah. had rubbed Vaseline on my screen. Like, yeah. it has kind of that look to it where yeah. it's like... These textures are not as crisp as they, as they should be. These cut, there's no way these cutscenes can be this bad. There's no way this dialogue can be like this stilted and this weirdly delivered. But yeah, it's all it's all of that. But the gameplay is what keeps carrying me through. I'm having a blast <laughs> playing that game, and so like I'm very excited to see. I'm excited specifically to see how t how Tim takes to it because it seems like Tim's gonna play it, and like it. Part of me we'll thinks see. it's a Tim Gettys ass game. But like again, we'll see. Like it doesn't have it doesn't have that like good Final Fantasy story. Like that when I think of like a Final Fantasy seven, right? Seven remake, or I guess seven classic because seven seven is a classic, right? It's not that, but it also is dumb as hell and it's fun. And like I know Tim like Devil May Cry, and it feels like the the combat has that level of like, you know, it's swifter than a Souls game, right? It's not that. It is yeah. kind of an in between of like you're being methodical to some extent, but also you're hacking and slashing. You're just going off on enemies, and it's like it's a really fun time. And you get them parries. The par the parry system is like I think really good. Uh, I think it in, a, it. in a couple of those boss fights, it it feels really good to kind of spam it in a way that feels really rewarding. By the way, Tunic on Game Pass today. Oh yeah, yeah. So it's, you can go check it out. If you have it that. had never been uh, confirmed nor denied that it was coming to Game Pass, and now it is like official that you can go get it right now on game pass that's really that's incredible that's fantastic holy cow i yeah. didn't realize that and then also shredders coming to the games game uh game pass later this week which i'm very excited about but enough about that uh thank you to our patreon producers gordon mcguire fargo brady and pranksy today we're brought to you by me undies and doordash but we'll tell you about that later for now let's begin with what is and forever will be the roper report it's time for some news. We have six stories today. A baker's dozen. Starting with our number one, Elden Ring has already sold 12 million copies worldwide. 12 million copies worldwide. I'm pulling from Adam Bankhurst at IGN. Elden Ring is off to an incredible, incredibly strong start, as it has already sold 12 million copies worldwide since its February 25th release date. From Software and Bandai Namco shared the news in a press release stating that Elden Ring has sold more than 1 million copies in Japan alone and 12 million copies worldwide as of March 14th, 2022. Quote, much effort was placed into creating Elden Ring so uh, that we could exceed the expectations of our fans worldwide. Uh, President and CEO of Bandai Namco, Yasuo Miyakawa, said uh, they continue, quote, in like, in like manner, we will continue our efforts in expanding the brand beyond the game itself and into everyone's daily life. We'll continue to, to create enjoyment and fulfillment through entertainment so that we can come closer and connect to our fans around the world, end quote. For comparison, Sekiro Shadows Die Twice from Software's previous game sold 2 million copies in 10 days. Bloodborne, which was only released for the PS4, sold over 1 million copies within two weeks of its launch back 
in 2015. Andy, 12 million copies is huge. Does this surprise you? Absolutely. For, for a game that has kind of, or for a franchise, really, for a studio that has typically made games that are like hardcore, and it's going to take a lot of getting... It's going to take a lot of dedication to try to get into one and to try to learn the systems and to try to get good at it. Um, I, this is far and away way more than I would have suspected in that short of a time frame. Um, as of 2020, the Dark Souls franchise in total, which is Dark Souls 1, Dark Souls 2, Dark Souls 3, and Remastered, sold 27 million, li- 27 million lifetime. And we're talking about those games were all multi-platform just like this is. And Elden Ring is almost half that already. Uh, Mm -hmm. That's a staggering amount of sales. I would have never expected that in a million years. I would have assumed maybe five mil, maybe six mil. That's like a really huge success, especially for FromSoft and kind of typically what they're used to. Um, Yeah, this is absolutely insane. And shout out to them for making a quality game that had enough people interested in it, right? And have, you know, brought in a whole new legion of fans. And I think Gene Park put it best yesterday. He was like, this is only going to continue because whenever you make a new fan in the Souls franchise, like, you stay there. You don't say, ah, I might check out the new one. No, you are there. You are dedicated. So, yeah, this is incredible. And I think that translates to the stickiness of it. Because, like, you know, you're talking about, like, you would have expected, like, 5 million, 6 million, which would have been huge numbers anyway, right? And for the 12 million, you start to ask the question of how the fuck did we get here? And I think it is the thing of Bloodborne is a game that I think has only created more fans as the years have gone on. Like, it was just last year that we did our Bloodborne spoiler cast, right? Because I had gone through and played it uh, for the first time, finally, and absolutely fell in love with it. Greg Miller went through and played it, right? Uh, you had played it the year, bef- the year before. Uh, and it seems like that game that is constantly getting people in, I'll also say the same with Sekiro, and for the Souls games in general, there's this element of, like, I think the gameplay is just so um, solid and ages very well, where you don't go back to an older Souls game and go, oh man no this feels old this feels like dated i think some in some aspects like if you played newer souls games or newer from software games you might have some of that um but like you know between bloodborne Sekiro, and then the new demon souls that's put out by blue point right i feel like there's there have been a lot of opportunities for people to jump in and get either familiarized with the series or fall in love with the series and i think elden ring you know you look at it as that but you also look at it as a new ip and with new ips it's like okay, well, certainly this can't sell as well as, like, a sequel, right? Certainly is, this isn't going to sell as well as something if you put a number two on it because with sequels come just way way more people getting into it because you're coming off of the hype of the first game, a built-in audience, and then new audience coming in for the sequel as well. Elden Ring, I think, has that benefit of it being a new IP technically but also being this thing that if you are a From Software fan, you know what you're getting and it feels like a sequel, right? It feels like a, oh, I, I, I love Dark Souls, so I know I'm going to love Elden Ring because it is the next step of that. I think it is that also combined with the fact that, like, it is open world, right? It is exploration. It is, uh, like, it's a bit more approachable than Souls games, even though I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that from the gameplay purely, but I would more so say that from the setup of you don't get hard locked at one boss if you can't defeat a boss, right? You can turn another direction and go explore elsewhere and find other shit to do. I think that then allows for more people to feel a bit more comfortable um, and feel a little bit more like they understand what this game is. Because, like, we were having the conversation on PSLW this week of, like, is Elden Ring niche, right? Is it this thing that only that speaks to a particular kind of audience? And my argument was that, no, it's not niche. I think it is mainstream. And I think that be- that that is because with Elden Ring, I can make the comparisons to something like Skyrim or something like The Witcher, where it is, it's an open-world action RPG in genre. Like, yeah, it's Souls. Yeah, it's um a bit more like obscure in in some of his mechanics and it takes a little bit to get into and it takes a bit more effort to kind of like get into the flow of playing the game but in terms of genre in terms of setup if you understand how to play skyrim if you understand how to play an action game you understand how to play an open world game it is way easier i think to get into an elden ring and roll with it and i think that's speaking to way more people this time around it's funny because i think that it's kind of come full circle where at first, a Souls game operates in a very difficult capacity where you aren't really familiar with this sort of style of game. Um, and I, I'll, I've said it a million times, but like Danny O'Dwyer said it best, the games aren't super difficult necessarily. I mean, they're, they're tough, but it's just that you suck at them in the beginning because you haven't really played a game that requires this level of, um, of patience and 
understanding that you can't just go in there and hack and slash like a Devil May Cry or, or a Final Fantasy uh, video game. So, like, it's interesting because I think it's come full circle where FromSoft games have influenced so many different genres and games out there in the last 10 years where we've started to see this combat style being taken from a lot of other devs uh, over the past several years um, because it is so solid and it does work. We've seen uh, Assassin's Creed sort of take that style from it, which is a massive um, multi-platform video game. We've seen uh, Jedi Fallen Order take a lot of influences from it. I mean, and even now, God of War 2018, right? Like, right. that had that kind of redefined its own combat, um, I think, based a lot of what on what Souls was doing, because it was that God of War originally was very hack and slash. It was very yeah. Devil May Cry. It was very fast-paced. And God of War 2018, I think, took its time to go, all right, how do we slow this down? How do we make this more methodical? Which I would say is influenced by those those classic from software games. Yeah, and now it just... And now I think audiences are just a little bit more uh, willing and able to hop into these from soft games and go, oh, okay... This is something that I'm a bit more familiar with now, as opposed to maybe hopping into a Souls game eight years ago where there still isn't a whole lot of it on the market. There isn't a whole lot of that fighting style on the market. Um, yeah, I think now people are just sort of um, becoming more accustomed to it. You know, it's almost mm -hmm. like having a 3D shooter back in the day using two dual sticks. Like, that was something new that people had to grow accustomed to and now every 3d shooter on console you use your two sticks to control it so i feel like it's it's kind of just a play style that's become a little bit more uh ubiquitous among the community so, so yeah this is amazing coming off of that thought right i think that leads right into the question that the sheep whisperer writes into patreon.com so it's kind of funny games and says this yesterday afternoon bandai namco and from software announced that elden ring had reached the impressive sales milestone of 12 million copies sold worldwide so this is one a brand new ip of a still relatively niche genre two has gotten rave critic and consumer reviews three has broken 12 million sales in two weeks a sales milestone that took dark souls 3 roughly three years to achieve and then four it's on top of everyone's game of the year list how do you think this is going to affect the industry as a whole with this unprecedented success do you think we'll either see even more soulsborne copycats flood the market or do you think elden ring's unique take on an open world design will finally revitalize the open world market thanks for all the hard work you do thank you sheep whisperer uh for your thanks uh i think this is an interesting question because i think it does come off of what you're talking about right here right where the the combat design in souls feels like it's becoming a bit more ubiquitous in combat in general right and i think you know again cheaper use the word use the word uses the word niche right defining the genre right and like you know Elden ring is a new ip and i think the further and further and further we go the less and less niche it feels especially when you look back at the games that have taken influence right you mentioned star wars i we literally just talked about final fantasy um uh stranger of paradise what right which has more of that take on combat at, at least in the form of like you know you find the they're not bonfires but like they're basically bonfires right you find the bonfires on each level you go through and the combat is a bit more methodical and, and thought out right as opposed to like the pure character action that you'd expect from a devil may cry or a traditional or old school god of war game right i think you're seeing that transition because it's starting to i think speak to people a bit more right i think there's and i think from software it's kind of the most extreme version of it which kind right. of speaks to the greatest uh, or the the most hardcore fans of it but when you look at that spectrum, right, of like character action combat and how like how you can kind of operate in that space, I think people do like the idea of being able to have the time or think about their moveset, right? Like in in uh, Devil May Cry or, or, or any faster character combat game, I feel like if I tap square, right, if I tap square, square, triangle, I, my character is doing 100 flips. My character is going all over the place. And that is fun for me, right, when I'm playing a platinum game or I'm playing Metal Gear Rising Revengeance. I'm going through, I am tapping the combos, and half the time, I don't know what combos I'm executing. I'm just executing them, right? And I'm just having a fun time doing it. Where... You don't really worry that this next attack is, this next attack, taking the risk to do it might be the death of me, you know? Exactly, yeah. Whereas, like, in Elden Ring or in from software games in general, I think there's more of the idea of, I know exactly what attack I'm about to do. I know exactly, like, the timing I'm going to put into this and how long it's going to take for my character to wind up. And I think there is an amount of strategy that, makes that gratifying and makes that fun and i think it's just a different way to do things that you're seeing more people take on to you because you're not seeing as much of that in this in the space and i think you will see a lot more of that but for you andy do you think that elden ring selling 12 million is going to make other developers reflect in the future and go okay how do we what do we learn from this how do we uh, uh jump on this bandwagon or like how do we take influence from this 
Um, I, I feel like doing so might alienate a lot of fans of those genres. And I think that just because a uh, couple of game reviewers on the internet talk about, um, you know, open world fatigue, those games still sell well. Like, I don't, I don't think Assassin's Creed in their future open world games will ever look and feel. There might be some, you know, some influences here and there, but I don't ever see an, a, a future Ubisoft open world game that isn't that go isn't talk to this NPC with the exclamation points. Like, I don't. I don't ever see that happening. I think that there's still a large, massive, dedicated fan base for those games. And I think doing so would would alienate those fans in a similar way where I saw a um, there was a lot of like talk of over the over the past couple of days on the Internet about what has happened to these Ubisoft games. Right. And uh, there was a screenshot from like Assassin's Creed 2 where it's, you know, hide in the crowd to get the, to assassinate the target, you know. And then uh, there's a second screenshot from, I believe, Odyssey, I'm assuming. Um, and it's you are like in a Souls encounter fighting Sutor, Surtur, Sutor, or what's that god? Uh, Kevin probably knows. But the, the god from, uh, uh, yeah, I think you're right. Sur- from God Sur- of War Ragnarok. Surtur? Yeah, yeah. Something like that. And it's yeah, like, got it. what happened here in this franchise where suddenly we're doing kind of like, you know, here we are doing yeah. stealth missions. Like it's not a stealth game anymore. Yeah, like what, what kind of happened to this? So like, we've already seen influences there, right? But I think going even further, unless they start to do some sort of, you know, let's let's branch off. This is a different sort of Assassin's Creed game, similar to how we saw, you know, 2D side-scrolling Assassin's Creed games. I think more, I think it will influence a lot of developers that don't have these sort of set in stone franchises. Um, Mm. I don't think you're going to see changes to games like that. I don't think you're going to see changes to anything that's really established. But I think developers making a brand new IP might start to take more influence from that and might start to have these more kind of like what I would say obtuse. It sounds like a pejorative, but I think that those are the type of open world quests that I really enjoy. I love stumbling upon something that I wasn't aware was going to be there and go, Oh shit, you were an NPC. I talked to a while back and like having all those sort of dots connect, I feel like is uh, some of the most satisfying stuff that I've experienced with FromSoft games. Um, I don't think we're going to see large sweeping changes over a lot of these established IPs though. Yeah. And I'm right there with you. It reminds me of when Breath of the Wild came out. And for me, I remember in 2017 playing through Breath of the Wild and feeling like my world was rocked in terms of what I wanted out of a, out of a video game, right? Specifically an open world game where, you know, playing 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 a game that made me explore, playing a game that didn't feel bogged down by icons, playing a game that just let me get lost and go any direction and f- finish it whenever I want, right? Like those were systems and mechanics that I felt were very fresh at the time. And coming off of Breath of the Wild, I was like, man. I don't know if I'm going to be able to play another open world game again unless it's doing things like this. Right. And then, I, and then like later on, I played. Um, uh, I think it might have been Ghost of Tsushima that eventually came out and made me go, "Oh, you know what? Never mind." Like it's just these are just different genres of games, basically. Where Ghost what a Tsushima, game, huh? what a game, what a game, like fantastic game, God, right? Man. And like Ghost, I think does take influences from Breath of the Wild here and there, right? But like it's also a very different type of open world game. Horizon Forbidden West is another one where playing it, you know, I am very glad that Horizon Forbidden West isn't Elden Ring. I'm very mm-hmm. glad that Horizon Forbidden West isn't uh, uh, Breath of the Wild because those do satiate different game, uh, different wants and needs for what it might, the, the gameplay loop I'm looking for is, right? I think there's nothing wrong with that icon map, right? I think there's nothing wrong with going through an activity list and going, all right, what am I going to do today? Today, I wanted to go through the melee pits and I just choose to do that and have fun with it, right? Yeah. All right, cool. Today, I'm going to go through these quests and these, this list of side quests and like get these rewards from them, right? I think there is something you said about doing that type of open world game. And I think Horizon Forbidden West, in my opinion, does that extremely well. I think some of the, I think that's has some of the best of that type of design in there. Um, but then yeah, you so switch. I, well, go for I it. Think go for it. it. I think it's easy to call those sort of missions like chores or lo- like really laborious and stuff like that. But mm-hmm. uh, I'm, I don't ever feel like th- those are the worst things about the games. Like I, in a lot of those moments, I find satisfaction in let me put on a podcast and knock out some side quests. Uh, and, and I want to just level up. You know, I just there's a bunch of just random exclamation points that I've been meaning to knock out. Um but that's where the games can sort of feel inconsequential because maybe you're talking to NPCs that 
have something really important to say and you're just like i'm just i just don't care what you have to say sorry i'm gonna exactly. go just, i'm and just gonna go kill the 10 boars you know that's that's why i think i take so strongly delivering and i'm sure plenty of people feel this way too where i i like the idea of playing an open world game that isn't that doesn't let its narrative kind of get in the way of the gameplay and i think that's purely a preference thing right i don't think that speaks to quality i just think that speaks to man just get out of my way let me get lost let me fight some bosses let me yeah. explore catacomb let me fight let me discover shit right i don't need a character talking at me every 10 minutes for me to feel like i can still be engaged in this thing whereas like i know i like i know other types of gamers right i know who greg miller is and greg miller is a person that loves narrative that wants wants a character to talk at him every every 10 minutes and wants that kind of experience right and these are different types of games and i don't think everything needs to take influence from everything else in that way right i would not compare spider-man to a witcher 3 for example like both open world games right all these games that we're talking about are open world games but they're extensively different genres at the same time and so what i hope to see right with elden ring is for uh the games that do want to take i, I one i hope we see more games try, try to take that explorative approach because i think that is a uh, a fun way of design of open world games that we don't see as much of compared to the ubisoft like icon map style of open world i hope we see more of the, <clears throat> more of those emerge um i also i also hope we see like you know more interesting takes on what like boss battle encounters can be like what if i'm just like randomly exploring a world and like a boss pops up out of nowhere right yeah. i'm not saying that's new to Elden Ring by any means but i think Elden Ring does it in a very fantastic way that you know, feels like I, I'll, I'll be exploring the field, run into a boss, and I'm like, man, you could have been a main boss. You could have yep. been somebody who I would have ran through on a main path, right? Like, I love those types of experiences, the experiences that feel, you know, super designed and super like, hey, man, around any corner could be something new, and you have no idea what's going to greet you when you when you when you turn a path. Uh, and I so I hope to see that that more. I think it's so funny to watch the audience kind of react to the way you and I have been playing these games. We've been on our streams and the amount of times that I've seen fairly new people in the chat ask, like, is this the final boss? And it's yeah. funny because it, it's funny to be like, no, actually, this one's optional. Like, yeah. I don't even have to fight this boss. This is a different path that I took because I am seeking it out. And this is gigantic and it's massive and it's epic and it's just this cool fucking moment and holy shit this is so insane and uh, by the way just optional boss like i didn't have to fight it and i think that love and care I, I i hope that developers take more of that of like the love and care approach to every single thing not saying that a lot of devs don't um but um i, I just hope that a lot of those extra things don't start to just feel like here's tacked on content um because there's nothing cooler than i think than going down a massively cool uh side quest and experiencing some really dope moments and then understanding that none of that could have happened if you didn't seek it out as the player exactly. and it's it's those moments like that that i think really uh resonate with me and, and why i love from soft games so much a few more tidbits that i want to pull about uh elden ring uh, these come from benji sales on twitter right benji sales he's one of those folks on twitter that you should follow puts out very good info about video games at benji sales on twitter is his handle uh he tweeted out yesterday elden ring has sold over 12 plus million units as of march 14th it is one of the biggest rpg launches of all time uh for perspective it took dark souls 3 the previous selling from software game over four four years to sell 10 million copies then he also tweets uh here's one wild stat to blow your mind tonight uh elden ring is the fastest selling third party game ever released from a Japanese studio. Uh, so again, extremely impressive <laughs> for Elden Ring. Uh, and yeah, like I think it is it is surpri surprising and not surprising. I think they've been building up to this. I think quality will eventually speak to sales and I think that's what you're seeing now, right? But it is surprising in terms of yeah, I think this is going to change things, right? I think we're going to see more people kind of lean into and ask the question of what worked for Elden Ring? How do we make that work for us? And I'm curious to see what comes out of that. But, Andy, that'll be in the future. Do you know what else is not happening in the future? Anytime soon, at least. EA Play Live. This is story uh, number two. And I was leading you into it. EA uh, Play Live event won't be happening this year. This comes from Kat Bailey at IGN. In another blow to an already uncertain summer event season, IGN can reveal that EA will not be hosting its traditional EA Play event this year. Instead, the publishing giant will be revealing more about its projects, quote, when the time is right for each of them, end quote. An EA representative shared the following statement with IGN, quote, We love EA Play Live as it's our way of con connecting with our players and sharing what's new with, with all of you. However, this year, things aren't lining up to show you everything on one date. 
We have exciting things happening at our world-class studios, and this year we'll reveal much more about these projects when the time is right for each of them. We look forward to spending time with you throughout the year, end quote. And then a two-time EA Play host, Greg Miller, shared this statement with KFGD, quote, EA Play was a wonderful event, and I'm so sad to see that the mediocre hosting skills of WWE superstar Xavier Woods, aka Up Up Down Down's Austin Creed, led to its demise. Hopefully, EA Play will return in 2023 with a competent host, me, and everything will be back to normal, end quote. Holy God. shit. <laughs> <laughs> God damn, you know? What an asshole. <laughs> I didn't even know that was in there. <laughs> I just kept reading. I didn't know that that was in the news story. I mean, that's the, again, Greg Miller is a man with access. I, yeah. He must have snuck that in there mid-show or like just snuck it in there as I was preparing. But God damn, Greg. That's, uh, Jesus. That, I mean, th- those are some definite shots fired. I saw a lot of, uh, I saw a lot of arguing last night on Twitter um, where Greg was like, I even got a second chance at this, you know, and then they replaced me and immediately the show goes down. Um, first off, like how dare Greg, right? Going after the King, uh, going after our commish. Um, mm. it's, I don't necessarily agree with it, honestly. Um, but you know, you can't, you can't necessarily shit talk the shit talk. It's like, damn Greg, that's actually, you're making points here. You know, you did make good points. points. You did yeah. bring facts. I think that is the one thing. If you're going to shit talk the King, you better come correct. And Greg yeah. did bring statistics two years in a row hosted one year in a row by Xavier Woods. All you, of a sudden it's fucking gone. You look at the, yeah. I mean like, like toss it out. We, we can't, you can't keep the quality. Look at the stat sheet. It's like, yeah, this uh, fuck. I mean, there's, you yeah. can't really deny it. It sucks. It I don't sucks. Think we, I don't think we need to double down on this. You know what I mean? Like, I, I don't want to Kevin, but I, I like, I'm just understanding that like, you know, you, you know, maybe it's jealousy that, you know, we offered Austin Creed a 10 year deal here at Kind of Funny and he chose G4 over us. Right. Mm-hmm. Think about that. And how long is he going to have that deal? That, exactly. You know? How long is G, how long is G4 long for? Exactly. Have exactly. you seen the numbers? Have you seen the Twitch numbers? <laughs> have you seen Isn't G4 a TV channel? Is it even on TV? I don't Dude, have cable. Are... Who has cable? Yeah, exactly. exactly. Wow, so knows. we're just doubling down on the shit talk for Austin Creed. Yeah, right now. I did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I meant I, to start I off. To, I tried yeah. to walk us out of this, but you, 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 you held my hand and took me deeper, Andy. You're right. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry, Austin. We love you, man. Uh, this wasn't your I fault. I also love G4. <laughs> uh, I right. want to do another uh, musical um, sort of collaboration with you. So there you go. I think the interesting thing to come out this story, right? Obviously, EA Play Live not happening. That's a big news story. But also, like. That leads me to wonder where we get certain announcements because, like, sports announcements, who cares, right? You know you're going to get your sports games this year. But, like, Star Wars, Jedi Fallen Order, the next one, where could we see that? If that is to come out either end of this year or maybe next year, right? Like, does that then show up May the 4th? Does that show up, like, at a Comic-Con event, right? Like, how do we get reveals of those types of games that EA is working on that we may not even know about? I'm curious to see. Yeah, I unless this is just something that is, like, super delayed in a way like i know they're just because they say to me just because they say that ea play live event will be happening this year at e3 i feel like a similar type of event not called ea play live could just happen later on where maybe we get more of a direct style thing um but yeah you're you're absolutely right we're gonna get sports news we're gonna get those press release statements kind of talking about what the future of blah 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 is happening but I think most people in our community really care about the updates on what's happening with Fallen Order 2. Yeah. Uh, what what else is Vince Zampella working on? You know what I mean? Exactly. I think Barrett and Chad mentioned Star Wars Celebration, which we could see it there, too. But, yeah, what's up with Jedi Fallen Order 2? What's up with, like, yeah, what the, the all the projects that Vince Zampella is working on, right? What is Respawn up to? Because um, I'm sure they're up to Star Wars. But also, like, what about the new IP that's been reported and all that stuff? Um, there's, oh, I had it and then I lost it. Skate. Where's Skate? You know, do we see more skate this year or do we just wait till next year for skate? Right. I think there's a lot of there's a lot of question marks in terms of stuff that we know is happening at EA or stuff that like we know their studio we know their studios are busy doing something. Like when are we gonna get those? And you know, I think it's fine to be like, cool, we're not doing our event this year, we don't have much to show, or we're not in a place to show those things because one, game development is hard, two, we've been in a pandemic for a couple of years. Schedules don't always line up with that, especially. But then also, right, like, um, is there an event that's not called EA Play? Is there another way you show, show off these things? I think that is more so the question I have. Um, and I'm excited to see the answer to. Andy, 
before we move on to story number three, I want to let everybody out there know that they can go to patreon.com slash games where they can get the show ad-free. And speaking of ads, let us tell you about our sponsors. Shout out to DoorDash. Sometimes pulling into your driveway after a trip to the grocery store only to realize you forgot one key ingredient for dinner kind of feels like the end of the world. But with DoorDash, you can get the groceries and household essentials you need or a backup meal from your favorite local restaurant delivered in under an hour. Desperately craving a late night snack or just want to stock up for the week with DoorDash, get it all in one app. We've been using DoorDash forever. You hear us on the Kind of Funny podcast always talking about the different taquerias we're ordering from, the different burger places we're ordering from we are super happy and we love to just get the food delivered right to us for a limited time you guys can get 25 percent off and zero delivery fees on your first order of 15 dollars or more when you download the doordash app and enter code kinda funny that's 25 percent off up to a 10 dollar value and zero delivery fees on your first order when you download the doordash app in the app store and enter code kinda funny don't forget that's code kinda funny for 25 percent off your first order with doordash subject to change terms apply shout out to me undies we've all been there trying on clothes in a dressing room and everything makes you look like three kids hiding in a coat finding the perfect size is annoying that's why me undies makes undies bralettes and loungewear to fit just right y'all know how long i've loved me undies i am often wearing the shirt the lounge pants the undies the socks like i'm doing right now if i was a cartoon character this would just be my my outfit it would just be all me undies i love it because of the soft micromodal fabric and because it does fit really well me undies knows that comfort starts with the perfect size and fit that's why they wear test all sizes from extra small to 4xl for everything they make they've got different cuts for different butts and everything from bold colors to fun adventurous prints so the world can be a comfier place for every booty <laughs> uh, me undies promises if you're not comfortable with any product for any reason you can return your order for a full refund within 45 days me undies has a great offer for y'all for any first-time purchasers you can get 15 percent off and free shipping right to your door to get 50 percent off your first order free shipping and 100 percent satisfaction guarantee Go to meundies.com slash kind of funny. That's meundies.com slash kind of funny. Story number three, Private Division has announced four new publishing partnerships. This comes from Jordan Midler at Video Games Chronicle. Take-Two Interactive publishing label Private Division has announced four new publishing agreements with independent developers. Ooh. This could be a fun one to pronounce. D. Gute Fabric, uh, Evening Star, Piccolo Studio. Ah, really and, good. Do you think I nailed that? I'll just be guessing. I have I'm no idea. I'm assuming so. I'm assuming so. Yeah, yeah. yeah. This is definitely a different language that I don't know. Yeah. Gute Fabric, uh, Evening Star, Piccolo Studio, and Yellow Brick Games' future, title, <clears throat> future titles will be released under the, the Private Division label, which has recently published games like uh, Roll 7's Ollie Ollie World and the Xbox and PlayStation versions of Hades. In a press statement, Take-Two announced that while all four developers have games in early development, quote, the first two of these titles is not expected to launch until Take-Two's financial, financial year 2024, end quote. Evening Star, which was founded in 2018 uh, and has offices in, Lo in Los Angeles, London, and Melbourne, uh, is known for its work on Sonic Mania Plus for Sega. Spanish developer Piccolo Studio was founded in 2015 by Alexis Corominas, uh, Jordi Ministral, and Oriol uh, Pujado. The developer is known for its debut title, Arise, A Simple Story. The team is currently developing a new IP. Copenhagen-based D. Gute Fabrik was founded in 2008 by Niels Denikin uh, and is now led by CEO and creative director Hannah Nicklin. Uh, it's best known for 2019 IGF winner Mutazion. This news story is trying to kill me with the name, man. <laughs> <laughs> Mutazion. Finally, Canada-based Yellow Brick Games was founded by Tom oh my Thomas Giroux, Mike Laidlaw, Jeff Skalski, and Frederick St. Laurent B., Veterans such as <laughs> veterans of, fran of such franchises as Dragon Age, uh, Assassin's Creed, and Tom Clancy's Rainbow Six. The team is currently <laughs> developing what it called. <laughs> What this story's just trying to de like it's just trying to <laughs> it's, it's the worst because like i know like my last name isn't easy for a lot of people right adioye like i usually have to tell people how to pronounce my name and so i get the struggle of like going through it and like usually i can get one name or two names in a row when it's like 10 names that are like of different cultures i'm like okay how would they say it in france uh, frederick how would they say it in german I'm like me trying to do all that go at the, at uh in real time Oh, man, it's an exercise. Yeah, uh, I'm proud of you. You did great. You did thank great. Thank you. I did my best. Yeah. The team is currently developing what it calls an ambitious new action RPG. And that's, again, talking about Yellow Brick Games. Uh, this is exciting. You know, like, th this kind of comes back to what we've been talking about in terms of 
it independent studio rising from either the ashes of AAA studios or people being like, I'm fed up working in AAA. Let me go do my own thing. Those studios coming up and then finding opportunities to then partner up with publishers so that they have like some sort of safety net uh, to like perform and maybe if their games don't aren't like a, a runaway success home run knocked out of the park selling 10 million copies selling Elden Ring numbers they don't have the fear of like ah shit well we're fucked right I think being under a label or being being partnered with a label like this really does help in terms of smoothing out the publishing process and then giving you like a little bit of a safety net and maybe that then leads to other relationships that you get through that label and all that stuff that's going to help out with your game and so uh, this is good news very excited for what Yellow Brick is working on because I love me a good uh, RPG, right? Whether it's an action RPG or, or um, Western RPG and having folks that have worked on Dragon Age, Assassin's Creed, and Tom Clancy stuff with Ubisoft. I think it's exciting, right? Having Mike, yeah. La- Mike Laidlaw in there. Yeah, especially when it's devs that are kind of, w- who are known to have worked on single player games. I think my big worry always comes from the the smaller studios who, or the the small studios that are formed from former devs on all these cool franchises that you know and love and they say we're going to work on a multiplayer shooter it's like ah, oh, that's going to die immediately don't do that like it that always gives me the pause and the worry uh but the fact that we are getting uh mostly studios that are working on single player type uh experiences i think is always like that's always great news let's get more games out there uh that don't feel like they need to be a live service in order to survive exactly uh Andy, we got a few more news stories left in the Roper Report. All these news stories have to do with Starfield. We have a Starfield roundup for you uh, this morning. Uh, Starfield at Starfield on Twitter or Starfield Game on Twitter. The Starfield Twitter account put up a video, like a five-minute video of them doing basically one of their roundtables talking about their vision for Starfield and some of the some of the concepts that they're doing for design. It is Todd Howard along with three other folks uh, high up on the dev team breaking it down for you. Before I even get into them, Andy, did you get a chance to watch this video? I saw like the first half of it, uh, them describing just kind of what their vision is. And they mentioned photogrammetry and I'm like, let's go, baby. Like exactly. we're getting that level of detail in a in a Bethesda game. That's really exciting to me. What is your level of hype for Starfield? Are you crazy excited about it? I'm getting more and more excited for it because, again, I've always loved the concept of Bethesda games. But uh, typically it's been, you know, here's a here's Fallout in a world that you don't think is very attractive to want to play. And so I've generally kind of veered away from those games. Um, I played uh, Kevin. There's also an MCU and preview logo just kind of hanging out up there. Um, I I played <laughs> I like many other people just, you know, put in 25 hours into Skyrim and then never went back to it. I feel like that's a lot of people experiences were like, yeah, I enjoyed my time with it. I never beat it, um, but I'm definitely excited to see what a current day take on a open world open universe type video game can be and what are the limits there and how large in scope can this possibly be i think it's really exciting because i prefer the sci-fi genre over pretty much any other genre yeah and i'm I'm right there with you right like i'm somebody i i really uh do love but that's the game studios and specifically it is for fallout like fallout 3 is probably one of my favorite rpgs you know of all time and like you know i but that's the over the last decade i feel like it's had uh, a few like roadblocks right they've had a few bumps specifically with fallout 76 coming out and just not hitting whatsoever right and like fallout 4 i really dug but i know people don't hail that one up as much as they would hail up a fallout new vegas right or even fallout 3 for a lot of people because fallout 4 i think for some folks felt like more of the same and the the settlement stuff didn't hit as well for a lot of people right I want to see what Bethesda does with a new IP, right? I want to see what they do with a new universe. I think that is the thing that excites me the most is, hey, I like your systems. I like what you do with storytelling. I like what you do with the tone of your stories. I like what you do with factions. I like a lot of those Bethesda RPG, um, uh, like the the tenants they have for their games, right? I yeah. want to see that translated to something new, and that's what Starfield is. Um, and so, yeah, let's hop into story number four, right? Where they Let's start off talking about uh, 13 pieces of new Starfield concept art that they've revealed. Kevin was just pulling this up earlier. Kevin, you can pull this stuff up again as I'm going through. I'm pulling from Joe Screvels at IGN. A new Starfield developer video has revealed a ton of new concept art for the upcoming space RPG. Revealed as part of episode two of the Into the Starfield series, the concept art shows new locations, enemies, and more, some of which was more specifically explained by the devs themselves. During the video, we find out that some of the art represents specific locations based on, the star- based on Starfield's major factions. We see the sleek, sun-dappled ships in locations, in locations home to the United Colony Space Republic. There's also the home of the free 
Three Star Collective, which offers more of a space western approach. And there's also the Ryujin Industries Mega Corporation's more cyberpunk-infected cities in which you'll be able to start working for the company. Um, as I was going through and looking at some of this concept art, I thought I thought this stuff looked dope. Again, like it comes back to like how they describe it as being like this NASA punk style game. And you mentioned it being this like open world, open universe style game. I want a game that feels like I am exploring a universe. And of course, like what that means for a Bethesda design for a company that is typically done more, I guess, standard, like open world, what you think of when you think of open world, right? Open map. I would imagine that this game probably falls more in line with the Mass Effect in terms of flying from planet to planet and probably having more segmented uh, places to explore. But either way, right, I'm excited to see what they do with that because I like that you can go to these levels and stylistically they're doing very different things that might appeal to uh, different people. Yeah, I think my worry, uh, I think my immediate sort of worry and um, where I get sort of pessimistic with it is it's really tough to do this in the sci-fi genre because when you're doing this sort of thing in a mythical, you know, Skyrim-like setting, you have natural barriers there because technology isn't available to the people in that world. Um, and what I mean by that is, if I go into this gigantic cyberpunk city, why don't I have access to fly over there? Why don't I have access yeah. to... And a lot of that is because of scope, because we can't fucking build something that gigantic yeah. on this scale open times 12, times 15. Yeah. yeah. And I think that's where my worry kind of comes in, is that, like, I, I feel completely satiated and happy if I go to a settlement inside of a game that is a based on a mythical type of Dragon Age, Skyrim type world. And here's this cool settlement, and there's a couple cool NPCs. This is great. But when we think of the future, we think of you're really just kind of held back by technology at that point. And it's like, well, I have a ship. Why can't I just fly wherever the hell I want? And that's where sort of those barriers might start to present themselves. And that's what kind of worries me uh, with these larger games. Like you mentioned this gigantic cyberpunk city. That sounds really awesome. And I want to explore that place. But immediately I'm wondering, like, what are the limitations here? Yeah, like, how big is and, this city? It reminds me of Outer Worlds, where yeah. Outer Worlds was another one of those games where you have a bunch of different planets you can go to. But each of them did feel relatively small, right? And, you know, I think part of that we uh, we we let slide because we are like, okay, well, it's Obsidian, and they're not, like, a gigantic studio compared to Bethesda Game Studios, right? And, like, we're not necessarily coming to these games for the scope, right? We're coming to a, an Obsidian RPG for the writing mm -hmm. and for the mechanics and for the systems, right? And, like, I think with Bethesda, I do kind of associate Bethesda with scope, right? I do kind of uh, um, I associate them with, like, all right, push the boundaries, right? Where can I go? How free do I feel? And, you know, they've not mentioned how many areas you can go to, and they've not really talked about, like, the structure of the map uh, really so far in, in Starfield. What I do hope, and this comes off of what you're, what you're talking about, right? I hope it isn't 15 different areas, 10 different areas. I hope you get, like, what, maybe six areas that feel like they're big, that feel like open-world maps, right? I don't need it to be a, I'm flying to a bunch of different planets. Give me a, give me a handful of planets that then feel like their own individual open-world, and I think that might get the job done. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely possible. I think at that point, that's where you you start to hope that that the love and care put into those five or six places outweighs the feeling of man, I why can't I just go anywhere in this sci-fi world? Um, and that's because budgets exist, and that's because yeah. a game this big would never come out. I mean, look at look at uh, Star Citizen. Um, that's a game that's trying to do something on this level. And that game has been in that game was uh, Star Citizen was announced the day that I got into game development in 2013, I believe, 2014. And it's still largely a proof of concept. It's still largely this thing that people try out and they have been buying into and it's made more money than God knows what. And it's still taking forever because trying to build out a large livable space inside of space yeah. <laughs> is like that's a tough task you know and it's hard to kind of make that believable and that's i think that's where my worry comes into play um as opposed to a game that you know that is an open world but it's set in space and it's linear so you feel more forgiving for not being able to go anywhere you know exactly and i don't want to lose out on that feeling you know, we talk about special feelings in, in open world RPGs. And like even when, when we were talking about Elden Ring during the review, the thing we referenced was the Fallout 3 opening the vault moment, right? Walking out, out of Vault 101 and seeing the open world, right? And we're talking about like 
for me, there's the special moments in RPGs a lot of the time are walking around and happening upon a little small town or happening upon a city, right? Or like playing Elden Ring and getting to Lindale or getting to whatever location and going, oh shit, I didn't know this is here. Like, I want to know, learn more about this. I want to explore more here, right? Like, I think it's tough to have those moments when it is like these segmented, here's 10 different planets and they all are either linear or they all have like this smaller, like, no, you fly the planet and the city is just there, right? Or you're a small yeah. segment of the city, right? Like, you know, and that is, that of course is the reality of game development. That is the reality of like, you cannot scope things to be in, in, uh, infinite because that is impossible. Um, and you have but, to make it believable. Like you can't yeah. go to, if you go to, if you land on an alien planet and there's this weird sort of like small settlement of NPCs, that's great. If they are believable, if they're talking to me uh, in a believable way, all of that feels, you know, that, that all feels satisfying to experience. But if I go to a gigantic cyberpunk-like world, much like in Cyberpunk on PS4 or on the or on the standard Xbox One, when that world is empty, it's like, why are there no people living here? And you start to sort of see, you start to sort of see the walls kind of break down because of technology uh, limitations and because of just budgetary limitations. So that's exactly. kind of like where the believability can kind of. I think it ride or dies on that sort of concept, and I I hope that they can pull it out. And I'm really glad that they've had failures like Fallout 76 because That's this isn't a this isn't a company that has made failure after failure after failure. And why should we believe in this product? This is a company that has shown that they can be great many times in the past, and then they had some stumblings, and now we take those as lessons. It's like when your team is on a when my team is on a winning streak. And I, I'm happy the Cowboys are doing good. And then they have one bad loss. It's like, you know what? Good. I'm glad they lost. Like, uh, humble yourselves a bit. Yep. Refocus. It's, understand it's what you can improve I were on. magic conversation. And this is the thing I was thinking about this morning, right? Where, again, like, this is a Bethesda game studios right now that I think has something to prove. Uh, and it's been interesting seeing that I feel like every major Western RPG developer has kind of had their stumbling blo uh, blocks recently. You know, you've had... Fireware come out and put out Mass Effect Andromeda followed by Anthem, right? And now they want to put out a new Mass Effect and they want to put out a new Dragon Age, but it's like all eyes on you. Like, let's see if you can get back to greatness, right? You have mm -hmm. CD Projekt Red who put out The Witcher 3, which many people would probably hail as one of not the greatest RPG of the last generation. Then they follow that up with Cyberpunk 2077 and it's like, all right, man, like, well, let's see where we're at with the next game, right? Do you guys still have the stuff? Now you guys have something to prove, right? You're not resting on your laurels. And you are at, you are at a Bethesda game studio right now that yeah, it's coming off of uh, um, Fallout 76, and it's like, cool. Hopefully now you guys know not to rest on your laurels, and hopefully you guys now know that, again, you have something to prove. You have to, you have something that you have to, you got to bring to the table now, right? You got to yeah. knock this out of the park. Yeah, because if Fallout 76 comes out and is mediocre, I think that uh, I'm not looking as forward to Starfield. But the mm -hmm. fact that it was this sort of disastrous game, that has over the past couple years or so improved on itself but the fact that it was this kind of like wow what a bad launch with a game that is just not what people were expecting or wanting um i i'm kind of glad that happens i'm sure they're not for their bottom line but i think that this that stumble is kind of gives me hope for the future of the company who has shown that they know what to do and know how to make good games in the past Andy, let's talk about factions. This is story number five. Starfield lets you join multiple factions, including the bad guys. This is Matt Perslow at IGN. Bethesda has revealed in a new Starfield developer diary that its upcoming space RPG will allow you to join multiple factions, including the bad guys. As part of the diary, lead quest designer Will Shen revealed three of the main factions that will be available to join. Quote, one of the big choices is, quote, which part of the game world am I going to get engaged in, he said. He continues, uh, quote, we always make a bunch of different groups that represent some of the major factions in every game. And this one, we've got the United the United Colonies that re represent the future of Space Republic idealized. You also have the Free Star Collective, which is the space Western fantasy uh, people that are out there on the frontier. Uh, we've got Ryujin Industries, which represents corporate life, end quote. Sounds real familiar. Yeah, it does sound real familiar, right? <laughs> Shen notes that he believes Ryujin Industries has, quote, one of the best starts of any factions. Uh, the story, end quote. This storyline will apparently start uh, start with you being hired by the mega corporation and having to prove you can cut the mustard, which also sounds kind of familiar. In addition to these three, there's also the Crimson Fleet, a pirate raiders faction that seems to be the de facto choice for anyone looking to do an, an evil playthrough of Starfield. All four sound like fascinating factions that have the potential to offer very different kinds of quests. But there's even there's even there's an even more interesting potential route for players to take. 
You can join up with the Crimson Fleet while also working with more benevolent factions. This creates sort of an undercover espionage role play scenario. Quote, the cool thing about Crimson Fleet is what if you're a good person and you want to be a good player and you don't want to play as a bad guy? Asked designer, director, Emil pa Pagliarulo. Pag um, Pagliarulo. There we go. Emil. Emil. Quote, <laughs> I'm doing real bad today. I apologize. <laughs> no, you're doing great, dog. You're doing great. Quote, you can side with the pirates or you can report back to the superiors and be the space cop type of thing. So it lets you be a good person and still play with the bad guys. End quote. Andy, how do you feel about all this? Like, uh, factions are nothing new for Bethesda games, right? That's usually where the game's centered around, where you mm -hmm. want to join up with the Brotherhood of Steel or you want to join up with whatever factions in Elder Scroll, right? Like, that's something to be expected. And they've talked about how factions are going to be in this game as well. Does this something that appeal to you? Do you like the way they're talking about factions here? Yeah, especially because we've known kind of what, uh, how that experience has worked in the past. And I think that's the, that gives me hope for whatever it is that they're going for here. And I'm glad that it's going to, persist and continue throughout the game as opposed to cyberpunk where you start off as the three things and it kind of all just meets at the beginning of the game anyway like it yeah. it kind of ends after that intro not necessarily but it you know it kind of feels like similar playthroughs depending uh on how you play it uh right as that intro sort of starts so I hope that it starts to feel uh as well thought out I hope every sort of faction has their own sort of uh you know guideline and and going as you go through the game it all starts to feel like yeah this i don't regret going with this because the other faction felt a lot more like real and maybe there's more missions there uh the thing that they have to sort of take into account though and i'm sure they have uh, is that like um when people play mass effect i think like 95 or 96 percent of players went paragon i forget the exact stats on it but it was like an overwhelming amount of people do not play as the bad guy. Um, and if you do, it's maybe just like your second playthrough if you are planning on doing a second playthrough. Yeah. But like that, that definitely you have to definitely take that into account. And like, so how much love and care is being put into the negative villainous part where maybe a majority of your players won't even play that? That's something that I also start to think about uh, when talking about what side will you lie on and what faction do you think is going to be right for you? One thousand percent. And that's the thing that I think strikes a little bit of fear in me when I read the part about like you can side with the pirates or you can report back to your superiors and be the space cop type of thing. So it lets you be a good person and still play with the bad guys. I don't necessarily want factions that are categorized as like this is the bad faction, the evil faction, this cop faction over here. That is the good faction. One, because I think like different people are going to take to certain the politics of the world in certain ways. And like me naturally reading through it, I'm like. Well, one, like, I said this during Cyberpunk, I'll say here, right? Like, I don't fuck with the corpos. I don't fuck with the cops, right, of the world, right? Like, I want to live in the underworld. I want to side with the people that are the downtrodden, right? And, like, that is the way I want to play an RPG. I want to be able to make my own story. I want to be able to make my own choices. And so if you're telling me that, like, yeah, these certain factions are the good factions. This faction is the bad faction. You really got to sell me on what makes the bad factions the bad factions and the good factions the good factions. Uh, and, like, I just really hope it doesn't lead to the writing feeling like it is overly structured you know when i think right. of the witcher 3 the thing that i love about the writing in the witcher 3 is that you want you go on side quests as Geralt, and you get to make certain decisions where you're like damn both of these are bad decisions like both mm -hmm. of these are good decisions like i can go either way right it is like oh man if i kill <laughs> this group of orphans then i can save the village but if i don't save the village like you know i have to xyz thing happen uh, things happen right like that is what I think makes RPG writing interesting and engaging and putting you in those situations fun. Um, and yeah. I really hope that they're able to like emulate that in this game. Yeah, as long as there's decisions that aren't always binary, I think that's the most important thing is like each faction has got to have certain NPCs and sto certain storylines that are going to make you feel less favorable about them. Um, I think that's what makes good writing good. When we talk about like, early on in the game of thrones days it's like you hate that person and then you get to know them and you're like huh i sort of see your side and i just hope that i hope that even the the goodest of the goody two-shoe factions have their fair share of shitty people that you might have to you know fuck over even if it's a less favorable decision amongst the people that you're with it's like well no man like the, this dude is like kind of 
he thinks human trafficking is okay or you know like yeah i kind of i you need to sort of run into those sort of characters in order to make it feel well thought out and kind of make it feel like you're not just going with the ultra bad of the bad or the ultra good of the good we need a lot of gray area in between that to make it feel good Last news story for the day, story number six. Uh, and Kevin, you can bring up the image for this one. Uh, Starfield has introduced its first companion character. This is Joe Scrabbles at IGN. Starfield's first companion character has been revealed. Vasco is a robot who looks to be a loader droid of, si- of some kind. Revealed in a new developer video, head of Bethesda Game Studios, Todd Howard said, quote, No matter what story we, we write, the one, the one the players get to tell themselves is the one they think about and love the most, and the companions, end quote. We then saw what seems to be an in-game shot of Vasco, a very practical-looking robot who greets viewers by saying, quote, Hello, Captain. How may I be of, how may I be of assistance? End quote. Uh, and as uh, Kev pulls up the, the image here, right, like, I get, like, Fallout vibes from it, right? I forget the name of the um, robot you befriend in Fallout 4 early on, but, like, it kind of reminds me of that, almost mixed with, like, the loader bot uh, from borderlands the telltale game that he becomes friends with right like and i like that type of shit i'm all i'm all in for that but uh Kevin, i go get for it. that it's not supposed to be scary but like for whatever reason i can't imagine like when i look at it I immediately like oh it's not facing us it's bending over in like a really creepy way and i get that's not what it's designed to be like like it's definitely facing us and its knees go the other way but it just looks so creepy to me i don't like this I'm sure once you hear it talk, though, it should be fine, Kevin. It's going to have a British accent for sure. Yeah. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. I think Codsworth is who I was thinking of. Yeah, Codsworth. Thank you, chat. 100%. It's got to have a British game. Welcome to the ship. There it is, Kevin. (sighs) You miss your calling. You miss your calling, man. Kevin should have been a voice actor, man. (laughs) I I think the one more thing to talk about with this uh, Starfield business is that, like, still no gameplay, which... To me, like, I've been seeing a lot of people complain about it and go, where the fuck is the Starfield gameplay? And I think it kind of lines up with Bethesda Game Studios, right? Like, Fallout 4, we didn't, or, um, yeah, Fallout 4, we didn't get gameplay of till the E3 before. Um, and then we didn't see that game again until, like, when that game came out, I think. Uh, and so, like, them holding it close to the chest isn't surprising to me. And I don't think signals that the game is going to get delayed yeah. by any means. I think you wait till E3 time to see um, what they do with it to make that decision. And and they know what they're doing, right? Like, I, I think that I'm not worried by that either at all. I think that I, I don't think we would be seeing press releases like this if we had something to necessarily worry about. And that's not always the case for for all of game uh, for all of the games industry. But I, I feel like they're really confident in what they're offering here. And they're kind of going to show it when they're ready to show it. Keep in mind, we saw plenty of cyberpunk gameplay footage, gameplay footage. Uh, yeah. um, as it was being prepped to uh, to release. So, like, I'm not worried by that at all. I think we're going to have this big sort of blowout, gigantic moment. I think you need to have that big moment to sort of up the hype even more and say, like, finally, here's the gameplay reveal, as opposed to kind of giving us little hints here and there. It starts to feel a little bit less special in that way. Exactly. Like, the, fall- the Fallout 4 gameplay reveal at E3, to me, was one of the dopest game pre- gameplay reveals of all time. Where it was like we got the tease, I think the week or two before E3, and then E3 they spent it was Bethesda's E3 conference. They spent a bulk of that E3 conference just breaking down Fallout, and it felt magical the whole time. And I kind of like I'm kind of down for the idea of them doing a similar thing with Starfield, right? Of them going, "All right, you've been waiting for it. We now have it. Here's fucking 30 minutes of of us like exploring the Starfield world. Okay, next time we see you, it's gonna be at launch." Um, I think the main thing I'm curious about is how this game moves, right? Is it going to look like an older <laughs> janky Bethesda games? Because I think Bethesda games tend to have kind of a stiffness to them because, again, there's the, there are these big open-world action R- or um, Western RPGs that have so many systems and stuff going on. I want to see if they move better. I want to see if they look smoother. I want to see if they're less buggy, right, and ha- and, and run better. But I think we'll get the, the answers to those question questions around E3 season, hopefully, like, June uh, time. And so stay tuned for that. But Andy, that E3 press conference is so far away. And it probably won't be called an E3 press conference because E3 is canceled. But Andy, if I want to come out to Mama Drop Shops today, where would I look? The official list of upcoming software across each and every platform as listed by the Kind of Funny Games Deadly Show hosts each and every weekday. Out today, we got Paradise Killer for PS5, PS4, Xbox Series X, and Xbox One, Tunic, is out for Xbox One, PC, and Mac. Office Management 101 is out for PC. And then Spirit of the Island 
is out today for PC. We got new dates for you. Sniper Elite 5 will launch globally on Thursday, uh, May 26th, 2022 for Xbox Game Pass, Xbox One, Xbox Series X, PlayStation 4 and 5, Epic, Steam, and the Windows Store. Uh, Total War Medieval 2 is coming to mobile on April 7th. Ed Zero Zombie Uprising arrives in early access on April 4th, and then Slipstream launches this April 7th on Xbox, PlayStation 4 and 5, and on Nintendo Switch. Now it's time for kindoffunny.com slash you're wrong, where you write in a list of what we got wrong as we got it wrong, so we can correct it for those watching later on YouTube and listening later on podcast services around the globe. And then let's see here. As I'm looking through, that's not a you're wrong. SZA, not the singer, writes in and says, Assassin's Creed Odyssey lets you select between guided mode and exploration mode. Where on guided mode, you have the map filled with icons, and on exploration mode, you have to listen to NPCs who give hints on where to go. Um, cool. So this is more context on, like, the uh, the Ubisoft comparisons, right? Like, you do have the option to play without the icons if you want to in Ubisoft games. That's a good thing to point out, SZA. Love mm-hmm. your single, by the way. Yeah. I don't know your single, so. Uh, and I think that's it. The star uh, Big Bad Beluga says the Star Citizen Kickstarter went live in April 2013. That and, sounds about then he, right. Then he corrects himself and says Star Citizen was announced in late 2012 with the Kickstarter going live in October. The last update to the campaign was in April 2013 to announce further funding. So there you go. So I was like, you're wrong to his own. You're wrong. And now they've made like $400 million in funding, uh, f- fan backing. Um, yeah, they say the, the game is very playable, but still far from the finished product promised. Jesus. Tomorrow's hosts for Kind of Funny Games Daily are Tam and Tim for a Tim Tam Thursday. If you're watching this live on Twitch right now, after this is Greg and Mike playing some GTA Online. I'm going to hop into that probably. Kevin might hop into that. It's going to be a fun time, and you can catch that stream later if you subscribe to youtube.com slash kind of funny plays. Remember this. It's been kind of funny games daily each and every weekday live right here on twitch.tv slash kind of funny games we run you through the nerdy news you need to know about we have a patreon post show for those that are subbed at the silver level of patreon.com slash kind of funny games so stick around for that otherwise until next time game daily